Hello, everyone. Thanks for giving us your time today. This is VR Download, and I'm Ian Hamilton in New York, broadcasting today with David Heaney in London to discuss the next steps of personal computing in live conversation with a global audience. I'll hand it over to David in a minute to discuss some of our subjects today, but I wanted first to mention a couple editor's notes before we drive in, dive in. First off, go an episode back and listen in to our recent interview with Greg Daniels. He's a writer and producer known for The Office, Parks and Recreation, and his new show, Upload, just aired its third season over on Amazon. I won't give any spoilers here, but it's getting really, really, really good, so I recommend going and catching up on that. There are some light spoilers in the interview, which are mentioned in the description of that podcast if you want to go listen. Uh, I spoke with Daniels for about 30 minutes. He had some really interesting thoughts to share about the recent writer strike and how it relates to technology. Uh, I also wanted to mention Raven Zachary. So I spoke to Raven Zachary. This is a uh, one of the original iPhone developers and uh, has been a longtime developer for HoloLens. And they've hosted a developer camp for iOS, iPad for years and years and years going back to the original iPhone. And they've just announced Vision Dev Camp, which is planned for shortly after the Apple Vision Pro. They're still working out the specifics there at that event, but it's going to be a fascinating developer event when it comes together to see this Venn diagram form between existing VR developers, iPhone developers, and Apple Vision Pro developers. Uh, it's going to be a different sort of arrangement of all those things. So that's it for me on my editor's notes. David, what do we have today? So we're going to talk about six things today. Actually, seven things. We're going to talk about the Steam VR update with Quest 3 and Pro controllers graduating from beta to stable, and that update also brings the new Steam VR theater. We'll talk about how you can watch iPhone 15 Pro 3D spatial videos on any existing headset, whether that be a PC headset or a standalone headset. It does not actually require a Vision Pro to watch those 3D videos. We'll talk about a supply chain analysis firm from China's estimate of the production costs of Quest 3 and Vision Pro down to each class of component, which is really fascinating to see just how these different companies have prioritized the different components within these products. We'll talk about that Quest Black Friday deal that effectively values it at $200, which we described and we'd still stand by as probably the best deal in the history of VR when it comes to a fully-fledged headset with track controllers. Uh, we'll talk about the Quest for Business subscription program that's launched so that businesses can mass manage and provision their devices. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the Pico news, uh, Pico's latest news from that pretty much essentially confirms that they are uh, withdrawing from the VR gaming market. And finally, we'll talk about the launch of Quest's first AAA game, Assassin's Creed Nexus VR. Yeah, an enormous week, a lot of things to discuss. We've talked about this order a little bit before we get into it, but that last section of the news, we've been getting kind of good, I guess, at building towards it. So if you want to share out the link and get people uh, in here watching us, I think that last section of those, those last two subjects are going to be a big portion of our discussion today. And uh, I'm thinking a lot of people out there are going to want to listen in or have questions as we get into those things. Um, but yeah, let's get into that first subject here with Steam VR's update. Um, do you have the image ready? I saw Blair out there. Hi, Blair. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, a lot of regular viewers, Ryan, uh, 
let's see here. We've got Milwaukee tuning in today, Barcelona, London. Really cool to see uh, everyone out there. Keep tuning in from your uh, various locations. Like I, I love seeing the the various cities. And I like Blair's comment that he's watching from his real studio without David Heaney. Yeah, I come in here to 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 interview you, David Heaney, basically week in and week out. And Blair doesn't have that, so ha. Yeah, he's in real reality. Hi, Terrible. We we feel awful for you that you're stuck in real reality. But yeah, this is something we discussed beforehand a few weeks ago. And we're just going to very briefly talk about this because this was a Steam VR beta update, but obviously most people are on the Steam VR stable channel. And we would always recommend staying on the stable channel because, you know, the beta channel is the beta channel. I say this for all technology. I think people who purposely use beta operating systems, for example, are crazy personally. If you're on your uh, work computer or computer that you use for anything important and you're loading, you know, iOS beta or the Windows uh, experimental channel, in my opinion, that's crazy. Maybe people can disagree with me in the comments, but for Steam VR, I've always noticed that the beta has these little issues and that's normal. That's fine. The whole point of these beta channels is to test things. But yes, the big update here is that Valve will finally show you the ringless controllers for the Touch Pro controllers and now for the Quest 3's Touch Plus controllers. So you no longer see rings around your controllers that aren't there. The other update, of course, being that it has the new Steam VR theater screen, which replaces the old desktop game theater app, which is now being removed from Steam VR. So this is more integrated into the UI. You kind of just undock Windows into this huge virtual cinema screen. It's ideal for playing traditional 2D games and watching videos. So yes, we talked about this briefly a few weeks ago, and now it's on the stable channel. Yeah, I saw uh, Blair saying that he has coffee in the real world while I have it here in the Quest Pro 2. Works okay there. I like the reflections here down at the bottom on this thing, and I, I'm wondering how much I should read into the idea that they removed the word game from the theater uh, and the idea that this might be the like the the way we're going to experience all 2D content on uh, the system going forward. Yeah, I don't know if I'd read too much into the name of the old app. I, I guess you can say that, yeah, this is obviously maybe something that now that headsets are higher resolution and more comfortable, they, they pitch it for watching movies, which you can do. Obviously on PC, a lot of people are going to use third-party apps for that. But as we said before, it's going to be fascinating to see if Steam VR gets better support for mixed reality or if Valve releases uh, that new headset they've been discussing for, uh, I guess, years now, and it has mixed reality support, will this be something that you can dock into your real environment and get reflections on your real table, just as we saw in Vision Pro? Uh, it'll be fascinating to see what is Valve's approach to mixed reality. How does this Steam theaters, Steam VR theater screen uh, play into that? Will Deckard, this rumored headset, let you play traditional Steam games without even a PC? Could you sit here and play Portal just completely standalone on that? That would be a huge content library that no other uh, company that's currently actively in standalone VR would be able to compete against. It's one of those things where um, like, I want it so bad that I can imagine the developers at Valve who are making the headset uh, not wanting to release a standalone system until they could actually deliver on exactly what you just said. So I like I think gamers want it. I think Valve probably wants it. And yeah, standalone being able to play Portal 
uh, Portal 2 uh, in this theater screen would be just phenomenal. Uh, and honestly, like, there's, I feel like there's a whole category of, of gamers that only considered the index because it came with Valve's stamp of approval. Um, like, they're, they're, it's not the broader market, it's not the majority of PC gamers necessarily. Uh, but there's a large, large segment of people that would be won over to VR simply by Valve going standalone. Yeah, you got to wonder in the absence of that, or maybe as well as that, will we see Valve release a Steam Link app for Quest or for any other headset like Apple, for example, uh, Apple Vision Pro? Steam Link is obviously available on uh, Android TV. I think it's on Apple TV, but I don't own one, so I wouldn't know. And so obviously, yes, you can already do this with apps like Virtual Desktop. Uh, there are other alternatives, but obviously Virtual Desktop's $20, and it's not specifically designed for this exact use case. It would be fascinating to see something that, you know, you open it up, your PCs are listed there, and you boot instantaneously into uh, Steam's uh, console UI to, to use this. Again, obviously, it's not something we've seen from Valve. Maybe it's something they're waiting for their own headset for. Yeah, Blair, uh, adding that Sony does it right. You put on the HMD and you have the entire operating system. The other piece is being able to seamlessly take it off and on and not notice. Obviously, very good points there. Uh, that I we don't need. know if I agree with that at all. I, PlayStation VR 2's UI is a, is a good example. I, I, I mean, it seems awful to me. You, just, you That's the bad part for me. You have the exact same UI. You're still... Despite the fact you have a pointing device, you're still stuck with the uh, one click at a time, move your thumbstick console paradigm. I, I don't know why you would want to do that. It, would you rather navigate your Steam library on your PC with your mouse or would you rather press the keyboard left and right to scroll through your games? It's funny. It's funny. You're like you're on the opposite end here where I was I was uh, remote controlling my quest recently from the, the quest app. And pretty impressed with the state of the like control, like launching an app from that experience is pretty robust now. You can get people around remotely pretty well from the iPhone app. And uh, honestly, like when it works, I would call that the premier experience uh, right now um, compared to all these other ways of navigating a UI. Like, like you go inside VR. I'm still struggling with this. I don't think there is a VR headset on the market right now today, any of them, that I can go and recommend to uh, a tech novice to go buy. You have to have some base level of knowledge for every single VR headset on the on the market. And debating the UI benefits of like Sony versus Quest is is like, yeah, it's tough because I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend any of them out of the box. You need some base level of technical knowledge and. That's honestly what, like when App, when Apple shows its Apple Store demos, that's what they're going to try to break people out of. I think uh, ultimately is this idea that you need to have that technology. Yeah, I, I do think that is Apple's potential here. Uh, we saw there was a recent Tim Cook interview today. I think it was with Dualipa, yeah. where he was just kind of highlighting just how intuitive he, the aim for this product is to be. The idea is that it's. There is supposed to be no learning curve. You know, you just look at something and and pinch, and there's no uh, difficulty. Obviously, they they've streamlined the o OS. We've seen the Vision OS simulator. People are showing just how well designed this is. Meta is obviously going to try over the next few years to refine its its massive UI. They've only really in the past six months settled 
on a consistent UI paradigm. But I don't know personally if if I'm a fan of Blair's idea of just showing you traditional OS. Well, in, no, what he was what he was so he clarified there out in the comments. He was basically specifying that you have access to the whole system from that UI. Yeah, uh, but the whole system is designed to be used on a single rectangular screen that fits, you know, with a high pixel density. That's not if you the whole point of a spatial interface is that you're no longer constrained by that that doesn't mean you have to go crazy and do this skeuomorphic stuff where you know you grab a cartridge and put it into a console but it does mean that you're no longer bounded to one rectangle you can have a panel here and a panel here as it makes sense uh, you know we've seen with vision pro a lot of those apple first party apps and some of the concepts we've seen from third party developers showing how you can get this very nice midpoint between being designed for one rectangle and having spatial interfaces without doing something that's so complicated people don't know what to do. Yeah, it's interesting interesting to describe this the like the breaching the cartridge in and physically doing it as complicated like it's I don't know um I I still think of the job simulator interface as, as that I want I want my UI interface to look like the job simulator interface. I want my system settings that way. So I think the, maybe some people who are enthusiasts want that. The problem with this, as I've said many times, is it's it's crazy fun the first time. It's kind of cool the next five times. And then after you know maybe 10 or 20 times, it's just tedious because people don't want to play with the interface. They want to play the app that they're wanting to launch. If they want to play Population 1, if they want to play Beat Saber, they don't want to play the system interface to get there. The mm. best interface is the one that gets you from putting on the headset into the gamer app you actually want to play I, as quickly and easily as possible. Yeah, okay, so a couple things. You know, I think we're complaining about the fact that Meta has stuck a lot of stuff into the OS over the last two years, and it's all buried, it's all hidden, it's all, and, it, and even when they like we're complaining about the same thing we've complained about for years that Meta's UI is janky and messed up, and it, and it's like nothing's changing there. But like the ability to to raise the um the pass through view to just the right height at your floor, right? So I just want to see my my circle of three feet around me, and then the rest of the world I want to be VR. That's what we're talking about when we talk about user interface and like speed. To, like that's just one little. Five second thing that I, I mess with once every 20 minutes, right? 20 minutes into my experience, maybe I want to, uh, interact with somebody and I want to rearrange and make that wall pass through, right? Like that interface we need to have be super easy. And it's to, to everyone's point here, it's miserable experience on every headset. It's arguably like, better on on one like this specific action might be a little bit easier for one person in one way on one headset but let's just agree that it's crap everywhere and we need these simple things that i'm describing like there's there's a list of not so much of them just you put the headset on and you instantly have your ui right like that should have been done years ago and it's mind-boggling that we don't have that and yeah, like, I agree. And you know, to be clear, when I'm criticizing the PlayStation VR 2's approach to this, I'm not saying the quests is good. And as Blair is pointing out in the comments and some other people, one of the problems is you can't actually just find the last app you played when you put on the quest. And that that problem is not I would don't think that's a design problem. It's more a business problem where Meta is is trying to show you the store and suggestions more than it's trying to show you your apps. So if you open your phone home screen, what do you see? You see a list of 
the uh, 16 or however many apps that you've specifically pinned to be on a home screen. When you click on the start uh, button on Windows, you see the apps that you've pinned and some recent apps, etc. When you when you open a Quest or a Pico, you see this explore page of a curated feed of what Meta wants you to see. You and you can pin one app to the dock, <laughs> which is great, but you can't pin. You know, you can't decide that I don't want any of these four default apps. I want to decide exactly what my dock is, like I can on Chromebook, like I can on macOS. There's just a complete lack. It it, it feels like it's designed for Meta and not for the user. You should be able so, to pin exactly what apps you want on that bar. When you open, so, you should see your favorite apps, your recent apps, and then maybe, maybe some suggested apps, at, but only if you've asked for that. So someone needs to go to Mr. Beast and try to get them to produce this video that I've just imagined in my head, where we just put uh, five uh, five people who are, um, let's say, tech novices in a room, and we hand them five Quest 3s out on a table in front of them in their packaging, and you just film how long it takes for them to get to their first VR experience, right? I I have to imagine it's going to be a long time for all five of those people to get up and running, let alone the first person up and running. And that's it's it's astounding that we're discussing like this this in 2023 it should have been solved years ago um and it's i'm 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 get, we're, we're all getting like matter and matter as we're discussing like he has his gripes i have my gripes i know blair out there and all of our commenters it, it sucks across the board this needs to get fixed so that we stop year in and year out looking forward to this christmas holiday where people are just so darn frustrated with how it is to get in vr well, sure. I think it will be Apple that changes it, though. We've seen that happen in multiple industries now. You know, we've seen the effect that uh, the original Mac OS X had on P- on Windows's design. We saw the radical shift of every mobile operating system after iOS, uh, even to a lesser extent, smartwatches. The, the Apple's effect in this industry will will probably be copied just as it was in the mobile industry and i'm not saying apple hasn't copied its own things you know i I will be the first to point out just how much of ios is copied from android but that sort of cross-pollination will start now because there's only really been in the standalone space at least one player here with one ui and ux paradigm and that's meta pico had an opportunity to do their own thing but pico was a shameless copy and it is a shameless copy of meta's ui in many cases it was almost comical, just to, to the point where they would choose the same shades of gray and the same exact spacing between UI elements at times as one of Meta's previous interfaces. They didn't take their own approach there. Apple is, as we've seen already, taking a completely different approach. Yeah, Chris Richardson asking the question of why don't we produce the video? I would love to. Yeah, I don't have the budget for that, but it's a cool idea. I just wanted to to throw out the... Uh the, the idea because it's it is a fun idea and if someone does it we'll we'll talk about it because it it's something we need to discuss because I, I legitimately wonder how how that would go um i'm imagining it being more terrible maybe it maybe it isn't as terrible as we imagine but i i think a lot of people would be curious how that goes let's move on to the iphone 15 pro 3d spatial videos being able to be watched on any headset this is confusing to a lot of people everyone coming at this going is there anything more to this that we don't understand is it really just 3d video here at the core or uh i i know the answer to that question like i'm leading you on 
my secondary question is, is there potential that Apple's going to do anything more with this over time? And this is just a beginning step. Yeah, they, they might do something more over time, but we know already from what Apple's confirmed to CNET, as we talked about last week, and what you can do in the Vision OS simulator already when you bring in these videos. And the fact that the news here is that there is now an app that will let you convert from Apple's spatial video format, which is actually called Apple HEVC Stereo Video Profile, which is an extension of MVHEVC or an implementation of MVHEVC. The point here is that, as we discussed last week, this spatial video as Apple markets it is just regular side-by-side -side 3D video, but packaged in efficiently to a file format where instead of having just a video that has two sides on it, these are actually packaged in as separate layers in the same way that a video file can have separate audio layers for different languages. This has a base layer for the left eye and then another layer for the right eye. But this already, because Apple published the specifications of this video profile, a developer has made an iPhone app called Spatialify that lets you convert this from spatial video to regular side-by-side -side 3D video. And that means you can watch it on any VR headset. On PC, you can use a range of apps from, from virtual desktop to all of the different uh, 3D video players that support VR to watch these. On standalone, you can watch it directly in the Quest's Files app or the Pico's File Manager app. So all you have to do on your iPhone 15 Pro is record a spatial video, open this app called Spatialify, click convert, then you transfer it to your PC. For Mac, that's AirDrop. For PC, for Windows, you can use any of the iPhone to Windows transfer methods, whichever is your favorite. You plug in your standalone headset via USB and you copy the file over. Kaboom, you can now watch that spatial video you captured. So this means the, uh, the prospect of having to buy a $3,500 plus headset to watch these videos is no longer a thing. Yes, that's a little bit more of an involved process compared to what it will likely be on Vision Pro, where, you know, you just, as long as you're on Wi-Fi, you just open the Vision Pro and the video is instantly there ready to watch. But I think for a lot of our audience and for anyone who, who's kind of interested in taking 3D videos, you know, doing a iPhone to PC to headset is not a hugely t technically challenging thing to do. Yeah, some really interesting comments to get into, I think, before we move on, because I think this is this is a new area uh, for consumers, even though a lot of people in our audience are remembering years and years of different startups and companies trying to solve this problem in various ways. So NextVR obviously went and got acquired by Apple, uh, as well as what was the other one, Spaces, but that's a different technology. But NextVR is this one that was working in this area, got acquired by Apple. It was one way of, of streaming and getting this content out. Um, but VR Gamer Dude's comment, like uh, talking about AI's volumetric stuff from years ago. And um, I know Microsoft had some really nice capture tech. And some of the coolest, some of the coolest experiences I've ever had in VR are live performance capture done of people up on stage rendered at just optimum quality uh right in front of me in, in a volumetric way like it's it's incredible when it's done right and you know apple is just handing this out to people on 
a very large number of their phones in the next year. They've they've picked a spot where they think stabilization, there's like a path to stabilization and quality on a lot of their mass market phones producing video this way. Um, I think, like as someone who owns a 14 Pro right now, and I've used things like their action cam on there. So there's three lenses on an iPhone 14 Pro and you can switch between one, two, three. So like, and you can also go wide angle. Uh, if you turn on the action cam, it looks, you know, if you track the subject well and keep it framed well, the video looks very, very close to the video produced by one of those highly skilled operators on the sidelines of a major sports game with a, with a $4,000 camera rig or, or tens of thousand dollars camera rig. It, it's close. It's close enough that like you're actually getting um, the action uh, with just a little bit of skill. That's where iPhone is today. I know Google has a lot of cool features with their phones, but like David, are you how many times do you use the feature on your Google phones where you take people out of a scene? Quite often, actually, for people in the background, if you're at say a uh, a landmark like the Eiffel Tower and you've taken a picture with you know uh, the person you're with in the background and you have a bunch of people, you can just it's one tap. It actually suggests it. It says it pops up remove people from background question mark you tap it and they disappear so that's very good you also have that same stabilization here but we don't have on uh, any current android phone 3d video capture it's something that definitely was on phones in the past but this is the first time that we've seen it on a phone that's that's shipping to tens of millions of people yeah uh and uh, as i we've talked about in the past i've tested out a phone in 2011 that did similar technology uh i've taken so what what's what, the, the, the struggle i have here david is uh why won't we be capturing side-by-side -side 3d videos with our quests for people to experience 3d video that way in vr or why isn't the meta glass why aren't the meta glasses doing this with the two cameras on it so quest theoretically could there's nothing that's stopping a quest from doing this other than the, the cameras are not as high resolution as what you'd see on the iPhone. They're not designed for this kind of use case, but they could, they could hundred percent be used. The meta glasses can't because they actually only have one camera on the old Ray-Ban stories. There were two cameras, but on the new meta glasses, they have one camera on one side and the other side is just an led that's designed to look like a camera for aesthetic purposes to balance it out. I think Andrew Bosworth, the CTO of Meta, has pointed out that this was something they explored with the original Ray-Ban stories and it was something they were looking at. But because it never took off 3D photos on Facebook, which was a feature on Facebook, they could generate 3D photos from 2D photos, they decided to drop it. This is a classic case of Meta half-assing something, uh, seeing that a few people used it and deciding, oh, the entire idea must have been wrong. It wasn't our bad implementation. It was the idea. Mm. And then years down the line, someone else does it with a good, better implementation and Meta has to play catch up. It's a story that Meta has repeated in this space dozens of times. And it's frustrating to see that they really never learn. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating uh, to, to get that. Like I, I'm remembering all of this stuff. I forgot about it because it was so, it, it was, it was a bad, it was such a bad implementation that like 
uh, I'm not going to go use Facebook to see the one 3D model that one friend posted. And it's funny, like all the everything David's pointing out, like Apple's not doing the way it's going to present these videos is very similar to the way the feed was presenting all that 3D content back when Facebook did it. But it just the gap is going to be large between the quality of the experience enough that like (laughs) this is the thing that always maddens me, like imagining working at one of these companies and building the product five years ago that got canned and, and ripped out of the product. And then Apple goes and does it. Is it the same person that went over and goes and does it for the other person? Like it's all these funny stories we never get behind the scenes, but like the, the madness of building something wonderful and it getting pulled because of something out of your control is a story that David and I have heard again or seen again and again happen at these companies. Yeah. And the other thing is, Facebook, despite having the Quest system focused on presenting this on a 2D screen, you know, it was just like a a parallax effect where you scrolled up and down or rotated your phone. There was this 3D effect. Apple is realizing that the ideal way to show a 3D video or even a 3D image is in a VR headset, a headset that has proper binocular effect. So let's let's bring up a few comments here. So Jay Ritchie asks, uh, any advantage if recording from the Vision Pro itself will have an advantage over recording from iPhone? Yes, it will, because the stereo separation is wider on the Vision Pro than the iPhone. The, 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 this, I've tried this spatial video on Quest. So I some people have posted their iPhone 15 Pro test footage. I don't have one myself, but they posted their footage. Uh, from this Spatialify app. I tried it. You, the, the 3D effect you get is not as distinct as with cameras where the stereo separation is much wider. Because you can see here, you know the scale of an iPhone. This is a very, very narrow st- uh, stereo d- disparity here. The uh, There's another comment here saying that Quest 3 wouldn't be able to do it because of the stereo separation. But I mean, look at the iPhones. It's It's absolutely tiny. If you have any stereo separation at all you can do a 3d video the wider you go up until around uh the 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 ipd of the person viewing the the better that depth effect will be but yeah there's there is nothing stopping meta from releasing a software update tomorrow that would let quest 3 do this the other thing i'm going to cover is the the volumetric stuff because we talked about that we didn't really explore that so you know any of that volumetric stuff that you're discussing is using camera capture equipment that costs tens of thousands of dollars and, and is physically large. You know, you're talking about these very large capture arrays. When it comes to some of Microsoft stuff, that's cameras that are, are, you know, you have like a dozen, sometimes dozens of cameras that are aligned all around the walls and doing this capture footage that creates terabytes of data to process. The Apple is focusing on a much, much simpler technology here, just regular old side-by-side 3D video and in a new efficient for file format on a camera system that tens of millions of people already own and it's rumored that the iphone 16 non-pro will have it next year so then within a year or two we're, there's going to be hundreds of millions of people that have this it's a really interesting question to ask when is apple going to go volumetric as some of our commenters are pointing out uh, you can already get volumetric capture on a phone for static things like a like a essentially a volumetric image yeah. by panning your phone around and using these latest ai apps and you know it's a bit noisy and messy and it, it can look a bit kind of paper mache at times but it exists doing that with video doesn't seem like it's a, a prospect to happen anytime 
soon from a phone camera. It seems like we'll need some sort of dedicated capture hardware for that. And if it does happen, there's going to be huge issues around the sheer amount of data and bandwidth that generates. If you're if you're capturing a volumetric scene per frame, you know, for a minimum 24 frames, realistically, you're going to want 30 or 60 frames. That is an enormous amount of data and playing that back is going to have huge challenges. Yeah, so the history of computing is recording the changes. <laughs> um, and so much of our underlying technology, like, is about clever ways of only showing you the changes to what's in front of you. Kindles uh, work bec- for weeks because they only update the pic- you know they only use power every time they refresh the page. At the opposite end of the spectrum, we're talking of ninety frames per second VR stuff. And fundamentally, when you're talking about the transmission underlying that, like the way you get this all usable is by only sending the changes across the network. Um, and you just described how we're able to do some of this today and the gap between that and, and getting there. I'm, I, I have to take a minute here to just, as someone, my, my very first digital camera was a digital rebel. It was the first, uh, the first one you could connect to Canon's uh, full line of SLR lenses. You just connect all those cam all those lenses to the, the digital rebel and you got a decent image. You could take some frames per second. I I started using that camera at the same time I was taking journalism photography class in college. And I was learning the ethics of burning and dodging images in Photoshop. Um, There are case studies in history of photos of O.J. Simpson presented on two different newspaper covers, on two different issues of a magazine. In one image, he's been darkened digitally to make him look more sinister. In the other, it's presented as it was originally appeared in the, in the photo from uh, the, the mugshot or whatever, uh, whatever they were given. Same exact image presented in completely different ways, give you a completely different feel as a viewer, completely invisible to people. And our images, our cameras, our devices around us are doing millions or tens of millions of computations every single time we take an image. That's what's changed over the 20 or 15 years of photography. And I I need our audience and people like Blair out there, like who are are skilled artists and understand things like you, you used words like noisy to describe the problems of our images today. We're at the beginnings of understanding, like, what is the equivalent of lossy storage for memories, right? Like, that's that's creepy as heck to talk about. That's the intersection between our show and science fiction. And Apple is trying to figure out what that file format is looking like right here and how to do that. And it's like, it's over on Google, they tested out some AI features where, like, you can change the faces of the people in your photos, and I, I need to discuss that one with you. Have you tried that feature, David? Yeah, I have. I think there are some misconceptions around this. It's, it's not generating a new face. What happens is if you take a, a photo shoot of, say, 15 photos very rapidly of, of a crowd of people, and in one photo, you've got one person's eyes closed, and in another, you have the other person's eyes closed, and you wish you could just combine the best faces of each take into one take. That's what it does. It, fi- it takes the optimal 
take for each person and and puts them together into one shot. It's not actually synthesizing a new face. It's not adding an expression you never made. It's just taking the best of each person from each shot into one shot. And I have tried it and it's, it's incredible how well it works. But yes, it does open up some questions about what is an image. And I think when it comes to this, probably one of the, the most, uh, what's the word, tractable paths to a volumetric capture is to just use neural networks to to hallucinate the extra detail, to hallucinate what was not captured from the camera's perspective on the actual client itself. So without even having to capture any inf- extra information in the video, the headset has just come out with what probably does the side of their head look like from this angle? What probably yeah. does the underside of that object look like? And that does open and, up some serious questions. Yeah. And it, you, know, you heard me, I don't know if I was off camera, but I did huff at that where it's just like, that's hard. That is scary. And there's so much, it's funny how much science fiction we have already on, on this specific like situation. Um, there are, there are many episodes of Star Trek where they recreate a scene in the holodeck for a courtroom purpose of recreating events and you get different versions of the events recreated. It's, it's, there's a scene in uh was it enemy of the state? I think it was with Will Smith. Uh, back in the 90s where it's shown like the 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 government can recreate uh, a 3d image to know what was in your bag as you're walking through a store i think they showed that technology back in that day um as a, as a concept it is it's scary to think about all of your like like you're getting to some really fundamental questions of just how much privacy you have when you're outdoors. Uh, if the contents of your bags and like everything about you is potentially recorded. Um, I, I had an experience with the, the meta glasses. Uh, I've been walking around with them in New York and I've decided I'm okay recording the meta using the meta glasses in most scenarios where I see someone else taking a cell phone video, um, it's got a big light on it to show that I'm what I'm doing. I'm feeling I've decided to become more confident in in this. I get on this uh, train and there's a person doing a live video of the train as it's just going. There's there's not a subject in their video. They're filming down a train car and people are watching this person going, what are they what are they filming? Why, why are they filming it? This this random uh, subway station. There's, there's no apparent reason for it. Um, I've got this video on my meta glasses of this other person doing this. And I'm like, wait, who is the surveillance state here? Am I the surveillance state? Is it this person who's just taken a random video? Is it these people who are looking at both of us recording videos? I was at a concert. It's a sea of red videos of, of the red icon on an iPhone showing everyone filming the concert up on stage. Uh, 60 re- recordings of the exact same event, all not formally allowed by the venue. Back when I started doing journalism, that was flat out not what people did at all. There was no cameras at all in that audience, and you got ejected from the venue if you did that. 20 years of progress and it, the norms are completely changed in 20 years. Does everyone in that audience have their own camera glasses and they're all recording their own view of that same concert? 
So one thing that a commenter pointed out last time we discussed this, I just want to bring up because I thought it's something that was very fascinating, is dash cams. I'm not sure about where you live, but where I live, almost every car has a dash cam that is recording constantly. And so anytime you're, you're either you're a pedestrian walking alongside a road or you're a driver in the road, you're being recorded not just sporadically, but absolutely everything you do from dozens of angles at once. I, I said what I said last time. I think we are far, when you're in a city at least, we are far, far beyond the era where this is under any question. If you are in a city, you should expect that you are either being recorded or that you could be recorded at any second. And I don't think VR and AR uh, and, and smart glasses are going to much change that paradigm because we're already there. You're going to walk past someone's doorbell. You're being recorded by that doorbell. You walk past any car. You're being recorded by that car. You see someone with their phone up recording their friend dancing. You're going to be in a TikTok next week. It's uh, we're already there. Um, all right. I think we've done enough on this subject because it, but this is something we're going to come back to. I think it's the very, the very front, uh, wave of all of this. Apple produced its most recent event shot on iPhone. And that's, I think, a big signal to uh, a lot of people that they're, they're coming after sort of the red category of cameras, I think, pretty soon. Uh, after having established a dominance over the camera. I was chatting with someone, what is different generation to generation on iPhone? There's plenty of people who have not upgraded from iPhone 11 up to iPhone 15. And there are a segment of people who always have to have the latest camera. I'm one of those people that like, when I see what new camera is on these phones, it hurts. So uh, it's, it's, I also think there's an opportunity here before we move on from this subject for us to think about uh, a category, categories of devices for cameras that have the rest of the system taken off. Like it's just a dedicated camera. I could see dedicated cameras. We know, uh, for instance, like Facebook, their watch was supposed to have a camera on it, right? Yes, a camera on both sides, actually. So I wouldn't be surprised to see cameras in different configurations toward a volumetric solution over the next couple of years. But uh, yeah, this is fascinating stuff, and I can't wait to talk more about it in the future. Let's talk about this uh, supply chain analysis firm estimate that the production cost of Quest 3 in Vision Pro. Uh, I grilled you a little bit about this, David, because uh, Meta is secretive. Apple is secretive, and they're both approaching their markets from completely different ways. How can any analysis out there whatsoever guess as to the costs to make e either of these devices? Because while those companies are secretive, they, you know, Apple and Meta do not make the components that go into their products, and they do not source them and they do not assemble them. They pay they pay Chinese or Taiwanese companies to do all of this. And within China, there have always been these supply chain analysts that report to the West by simply geographically being near these factories, being able to look at sometimes public documents, sometimes just paying people who work at these companies to share these things. And so this is an entire industry now, supply chain analysis. It's one of the, it's one of the, the core reasons that we see uh, leaks for tech products years in advance and pretty much i'd say 
probably three quarters of tech leaks originally come from supply chain analysts who just see what components are flowing from what factory that normally works with what company. And so, yes, they've come up with a comprehensive estimate of the component costs for each of these headsets. And it's really fascinating because obviously, yes, we have the disclaimer that these are estimates, that we cannot verify this, that this there could be serious issues here with accuracy in ways. But as a general guide, it does reveal a lot about what these two companies may uh, be prioritizing. So here is the the chart that we put together based on these estimates that shows you the, the categories of components. And in red here as the uh, largest for Vision Pro and the second largest for Quest is the displays. And this is the thing that was really, really fascinating to me off the bat. This company, this, this analyst, uh, Wilson, estimates that the cost of each OLED micro display in Vision Pro is $350, i.e. together, this is $700. That means that each micro display costs almost as much as the entire bill of materials for Quest 3, and together, they're almost double. And that really shows you what is the the cost and the difficulty of today acquiring near 4K OLED micro displays. There's a lot of people who think, you know, every headset should have OLED micro displays and how dare a headset be released with LCD and and not have this. But if you look at how much this is costing Apple to get this right now, that's the cost. The, The problem is that OLED micro displays until this year only existed in production at very small quantities because they only had limited use cases such as uh, military headsets and the camera viewfinders for high-end cameras. And even then, the resolution was not the kind that are for VR headsets. So these companies like Sony for Apple's headset and BOE for future headsets and some other manufacturers in China have had to spin up this production from nothing. That means building up production uh, capabilities, uh, factories, fabs, all of this from nothing for a completely new industry. This is billions of dollars of investment, potentially tens of billions of dollars in, of investment. And reportedly, the yield is still quite low. The yield being how many that they try to produce actually come out usable, as in they're either not completely broken or there aren't so many dead pixels that you cannot put this in a product. Apparently, for Sony and for BOE and for everyone trying to build micro displays so far, that yield is pretty terrible. So all of that cost is just completely lost and it has to be baked in to the product. So if Vision Pro existed in a world where OLED micro displays were uh, cheap and readily available, it would be a very differently priced product. But even with all of these component costs this and production, this estimate only comes out to around $1,700. That's obviously a lot short of the $3,500 that Apple is choosing to price their product at. And Obviously, we have to point out that the key thing about these cost estimates is they do not include research and development costs. They don't include software costs. They don't include staffing. These costs are just an estimate of what each component costs Apple or Meta to buy from the supplier. Now, all right, let's see here. You've done a lot to discuss uh the what the display one uh, display here so you've just you've done a lot to discuss this and this and how it relates to the chunk of this overall thing the so this giant ridiculous cost over on apple that the display alone uh is more potentially than the entire cost of a quest 
three. Um, and uh, it's that that's fascinating. But I want to talk about the uh, the one under that, the chips layer, right? Um, this estimate has said that the chip cost in Quest 3 is the biggest chunk of its cost. It's also suggesting that the chip cost in Apple is perhaps the the second costliest or maybe the third costliest component of its overall structure. From generation one of Vision Pro to, let's say, Vision Pro 2 or Vision Pro 3, how does this layer change relative to the research and development costs that you said aren't included? In a perfect world for Apple, doesn't this become a smaller sliver? Doesn't this also become a smaller sliver? Um, and how does the quest, how do the quest slivers change over time? Does this really go up to this much uh, in order for Meta? Does, does Meta start, like if Meta goes and makes a Quest Pro 2, and it's in this $1,500 or $1,700 category, right? It's similar bar height as uh, the other one. What do Meta's costs look like to produce a similar category of device? So let's start with, with Apple. A big problem for Apple here when it comes to their chip costs, and to be clear, that this blue here is the cost of all the computing components. It's the, the main chip, in Apple's case, the R1 secondary chip, the RAM, the storage, the motherboard, all of the little chips that control all of the secondary functions. And for Apple, what there's a big opportunity to do here is to cut from two chips down to one. So the information, an outlet that we talk about a lot, a news outlet, released last year a detailed report of the history of Apple's headset. And they said that this secondary processor, the R1, actually came about fairly late in development as a, as a requirement because they couldn't get this to work well, the pass-through to work well with one chip. And we've seen what happens there with Quest 3. You have this double imaging, this distortion, this uh, low-resolution cameras that they're able to process relative to what would be potentially possible. I wonder if we see Apple for Vision Pro 2 release a dedicated variant of the M series chips that are designed to incorporate this, what the R1 does today into one chip. And that would take off $60 here and bring this down quite a lot. Uh, we also know that, well, we've, we've also heard from rumors from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman that potentially Apple plans to release a cheaper Vision non-pro headset that uses the A series chips from iPhones. So that would be a lower cost again. The, the big focus for Apple, obviously, though, is bringing down this cost, the micro displays. And that means investing in other suppliers. We, we've heard that they're talking to uh, BOE, potentially SIA Technologies, who, which is reportedly what big screen is, is sourcing their 2.5K OLED micro displays from. But it really will just come down to some unknowns right now, which is, again, as I said, how well can these companies scale up OLED micro display production while keeping the yield high? It's very. I think it's very likely that Apple is right now pouring billions of dollars into these companies to, to build out these fabs. And we know that Meta was in talks with Samsung Display and LG Display to do the same. So I would expect that for if Meta's Quest Pro 2 also uses OLED micro displays, it's going to also be a huge chunk of the cost, but hopefully less because hopefully in the two years from now until then, OLED 
micro display production increases. One of the really fascinating uh, costs here, though, that, that I, I saw, which is obviously a huge potential for Apple to cut in a cheaper headset, is the shell and structure cost here, which for uh, Quest 3, because it's plastic, is $16, the shell and structure. Whereas for Vision Pro, it's $132 because Apple is using this custom aluminium alloy with a curved glass shell. That's obviously beautiful industrial design. You know, I'm a huge fan of the design of Vision Pro. I think it does look, you know, stunning compared to something like a Quest 3, which is quite ugly. But you're talking about an order of magnitude higher materials cost there that I don't think they're going to keep for a cheaper product. I could see the cheaper one using a plastic rather than a glass. Okay, so I love the way uh, people in Europe say aluminum. So I want to hear him say aluminum one more time before we move on. But uh, <laughs> the, the last thing I want to say about this before we move on is that uh, people talk about Apple overpricing its products. They talk about the profit that Apple seeks on its hardware and, and on all of its stuff. People call it an Apple tax. Uh, some people do. Uh, it becomes ammo for a fanboy war that is less than productive. What I want to, what I want to maybe surface from these charts or at least discuss, uh, before I hear you say aluminum again is that what we've learned in Quest 3 here is that the XR2 Gen 2 processor inside of it is absolutely fundamental to the overall experience. We flat out do not recommend a Quest 2 to almost any buyer this year new because of how dramatic that underlying chip, this blue box on this chart is, is so fundamental to the experience. We recommend not getting the last gen, no matter the cost. Um, Apple is getting estimated as having this big giant layer for its chip cost. But what I like, we know Samsung is going to have its own version of this chart, right? And the display part of Samsung's chart is going to be small because Samsung can provide its own displays, right? So now we're starting to get a picture here from these charts of the competitive direction each of these devices are going to. And it is going to be fundamental that we begin these conversations about the costs involved in new chips, what the chips are actually capable of, and what they do for you in the current hardware. So. Um, I want to point this out as we break down these chip costs because we know Meta has made a multiple year agreement with Qualcomm to keep developing these things. And as we approach to have an idea of an XR3 processor potentially or an XR2 Gen 3 or various iterations of all these things, this battle over the next few generations is going to play out on the blue areas of this chart, isn't it? Yeah, as you say, Samsung can source from Samsung Display, which is reportedly what they're going to do for their headset that is reportedly going to be a Vision Pro competitor launching late next year. But they will not be able to source their own chips because while Samsung does have its own Exynos chip division, the performance and power efficiency is just not up to par with Qualcomm. So they are going to be sourcing from Qualcomm. They're probably going to have a very similar chip cost to Vision Pro if Qualcomm is building out this higher end uh, chip for their product. Uh, a fascinating uh, part we haven't said about Quest 3 actually is that the controllers are reportedly 1650 each. So if Meta did cut the controllers from a product from their 
cost perspective, that would only be saving about $33. Obviously, these things all do add up. But I don't think that's the. Uh, I don't think that gets you the hundred dollars shave off that gets you fifty. It gets you to fifty. Yes, it, it it doesn't. It I I don't think they're ever going to sell controllers for fifty. I think they still would probably price it around a hundred. They you know they want these margins here, but that doesn't seem worth it to me in in the short term. I think if we're talking about Quest Three Lite, which is the last thing we should talk about, it's going to have this same chip cost. But what they're going to be trying to shave down is the display cost because. Uh, these displays in Quest 3 reportedly cost $40 each, $80. If you're using a single panel, uh, that can probably be shaved down to around $40. There's not a massive difference in LCDs that, you know, they're, they're quite cheap. Uh, the lenses and IPD can be brought down a lot here. If you don't have an IPD assembly, that's a, that cuts you about $5. If you're using, uh, Fresnel lenses instead of pancake lenses, the pancake lenses reportedly cost Meta $25 each. So that's $50. Fresnel lenses are something like $5 each. So you can see that if they, uh, cut one one if they go down to a single panel and they take away uh the pancake lenses they are saving around uh 80 dollars there and that's obviously one of the the major costs when you uh take away some cameras and sensors the camera cost is reportedly uh, 4150 you could then save i don't know maybe 20 dollars from there so you can already see how they shave a hundred dollars off but uh, it looks like they may have to do some aggressive pricing to get that down mm-hmm. to the three hundred dollars of Quest Two. All right, I didn't, I didn't hear the word, so I'll be listening for uh, aluminum, aluminum the rest of the episode. I guess. Thank you. All right, I'm happy now. Let's talk about Quest Two's Black Friday deal because I've just uh, crapped on Quest Two, uh, but now it's cheaper than ever. So let's uh, let's get into this. What's the deal, David? Yeah, this is a truly astonishing deal, which makes us, it makes it very challenging for us to hold up our please don't buy a Quest 2 recommendation because last week Meta cut the price of Quest 2 to $250 for the rest of the year. And this Black Friday agreement or this Black Friday deal stacks on top of it. So you have a $250 Quest 2 and you get $50 of credit. How, what form that credit takes depends on where you buy it. If you buy it on Amazon, you get $50 of Amazon credit. If you buy it from Meta Store, you get $50 of Quest Store credit to spend on apps and games. But assuming you're going to use that, and I think you know, if you're an Amazon buyer, you're going to use that $50 at some point. If you're a Quest gamer, you're almost certainly in the lifetime of owning your device going to spend $50 on the store, unless you're someone who only wants it for PC VR. But even then, just buy it from Amazon. Effectively, this prices Quest Two at two hundred dollars. Not directly, but when you add that credit, this is like getting a Quest Two for two hundred dollars, and that is an astonishing deal. Yeah, and I, I asked about the GetSupernatural.com deal, and I, I don't have any response about whether it can be included in any way with these things. But over, if you're interested in VR fitness, GetSupernatural.com has a deal on the Quest three line that's that's pretty effective i mean it's 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 works with all the headsets but i wondered if it could be stacked with anything and we don't have any word on that but uh yeah vr fitness over on that option is actually a really cool way to get into vr with a year of supernatural uh blair is going to attack us in the comments because uh apparently he he's fine working out however he works out but uh for many other people i just read a story over on the supernatural facebook group of just people have spent $50 
every day for years now in Get Supernatural, and it has uh, changed our lives. And I saw that, you know, within the last few days. Uh, so there's that avenue for getting a Quest 2 over on that option. Look at what that offers you for a year. There's also this, which it's incredible how cheap it gets. Um, if yeah, I, I don't know, David, like it's, it is hard, right? I know you could get a refurbished one for maybe a hundred or 150. Would that be an expectation? Most people can find out there. A officially refurbished from anyone you can get it and used quest for that price. Uh, that's what I mean. Sorry. I mean like on marketplace or you find like a person to person deal a hundred, 150. Do you think that's how they're, how much they're probably going for right now? Yeah, you can. Obviously, you want to be careful with that because, you know, people can have scratched lenses. They can have sunburnt displays. There can be defects. The, the controllers might be drifting for the same reasons that people buy new for all other products still apply here. I don't, I don't think you're going to see that many people want to risk that. And why would you at this price, you know, $200? That's affordable for almost any. A uh, person that would be in the market for a general games console or computing device like this, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I lost uh, Blair's out there squinting at me. I'll squint back at you. Um, oh, I'm keeping my Quest 2, sold the Quest 1. I kind of wish I kept it too. I've done that too. I, I hate selling the old headset to get the new one. I do want to just make that general comment of safety, right? If I've, when I've sold headsets, I've always picked a public place to do it in. Uh, I don't, this is not a transaction I would do in, in my own house uh, for safety reasons. It's a, it's a big piece of electronics. Um, and yeah, I do understand the, the drive to kind of keep your hardware around instead of getting rid of the old one. Um, yeah, it's, it is stretching that are, are like, don't buy, but I don't, it's just I don't want I don't want moms and dads on Christmas Day getting their kid excited about Quest Three and this is a Quest Quest Three at home situation, right? We have Quest Three at home and this is what they have. I'm I don't want that. Yeah, I think we should just reiterate what we mean by our don't buy Quest Two position because I don't think we've actually explicitly said. So this is an article we published online. We've talked about it in past episodes of the show, but Essentially, there are now multiple sources from the Wall Street Journal to Bloomberg to a Chinese analyst who has been reliable in the past that indicate that Meta plans to directly replace Quest 2 with a Quest 3 Lite next year. And it may even happen in the first half of next year. This may not even be a situation where it's going to be a whole year from now. And so that Quest 3 Lite will reportedly have the Fresnel lenses of Quest 2, so that same old optical system that makes it quite bulky and doesn't give you the full clarity of pancake lenses, but it will reportedly have the new XR2 Gen 2 chip from Quest 3, and it has a more than twice as powerful GPU. And so if you're going to buy a headset like Quest 2 three years after it's launched, and then there is suddenly going to be a headset at the same price that has more than twice the GPU performance. You're going to you're going to risk being left behind very quickly. We're not saying the developers aren't going to ship their game for Quest Two because that is obviously going to happen given the large market. And we're not saying that Meta is going to drop support for Quest Two anytime soon. What we are saying might happen is that developers are so optimized or so focused on optimizing their titles for the new processor that will then be on Quest Three and Quest Three Lite 
that they're not going to put as much focus on making their games look great and run great on Quest 2. This is always what happens when a a new generation of console comes along. If you are still buying the cross-gen titles, yes, they work, but they are clearly not designed for it. You're going to have worse performance, uh, worse graphics. And even just from the perspective of how much of a difference this makes, I think it would be very frustrating to buy a headset and then three to six months later have one that comes along at the same price well, $100 more than this deal, but the same price normally, that just is so much better. Because we've said clearly in our Quest 3 review, yes, the pancake lenses are great, but the biggest single upgrade is that new processor. In in titles where developers have released a Quest 3 patch, the difference really is night and day. It is like what you remember from going from PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3. It is a proper generational graphics update. And while we do acknowledge just how good a deal this is, I do think it will be a shame to buy a Quest 2 right now. And unless you really, really want a headset this year, hold out, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to add on a little bit to what David said. He he chose his words very carefully. He framed it the right way. But Artful's comment here, meta is meta and nothing is never a no. If Boz says Quest 2 is dead next year, it will be. That's fair. That is absolutely fair to suggest. Uh, and you have to per- make these purchasing decisions with knowledge that Meta is in a uh, fight for its life with the biggest technology company on the planet in Apple. They've had years on their own where uh, competitors like Google, they killed Google's effort within two years. Like they scared them away really quickly. Um Pico just fell apart, and we'll get into that one next. Here's Apple with full confidence in its strategy with a war chest of money to bring to bear in combating Meta. And Mark Zuckerberg has shown over the last decade he's willing to rename the company and restructure and fire thousands and thousands of people to ready his company for what's coming next. What I'm what I'm getting at here is this is a like a if if you were to like make a race car and you needed to th- like drop 50 pounds of weight in order to be competitive against a new race car that's coming out you do it you drop you drop everything you 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 pull out all the stops to make it happen and we're talking about the timeline for this quest 3 light this is the moment to do it this is what i'm where i'm going with all of this you go and line up the very best hand tracking developers in the world you go and uh, get all of them to get ready in some lineup for 2024. Uh, so you've got a release schedule of great hand tracking comment content. And you drill down that price as cheap as you possibly can uh, and buy as many millions of these devices to get ready for what's coming as possible. Um, that's my warning like business-wise, why we think it's so important to try to get the, the, the newest system. The other part of that, that that I have to get across is this isn't the same as getting a new generation console and an old generation console. You're talking about the performance. This you're talk the the difference in performance that David is talking about between a Gen 1 processor and a Gen 2 processor is your is in some cases your personal comfort and how many minutes you're willing to use the headset you're giving yourself a better first experience in vr you're giving yourself more minutes in vr before you want to take the headset off 
if you give yourself the latest hardware. So you're you're investing in your own comfort and your own ability to like enjoy the system in a very different way than getting like um like a PSVR Slim or a PSVR Pro. It's like it's not the same. Like yes, the graphics are going to be better on the Pro versus the regular, but you're talking about every minute of your experience, every second seeing this graphical difference and it having like a real visceral effect on how many minutes you can spend in VR. Yeah, the general non-VR console market is very mature to the point where, you know, you go from PlayStation 4 to 5 and it is, it's noticeable, but it's not dramatic. You know, you're not going to have, it's not a fundamentally different experience. Whereas VR is so early on the grand scheme of things, uh, which we constantly point out in this show, this, this industry is still in its early days, believe it or not. This is still some of the earliest, most primitive tech that will look comically outdated in 10 years from now. And so every little change uh, and every every big change is just so much more important, especially when, as Ian's pointing out, these pixels are magnified over your entire 100-degree uh, field of view on front of your face. This is something where you're seeing these textures and these effects and the, the, the aliasing right in your face close up. And yeah, again, so I think we can move on to the next topic, but we just want to reiterate, please consider skipping this deal and not buying <laughs> Quest 2 this Christmas. And do, and do consider the Quest 3. The Quest for Business subscription program is launched. So this is multiple uh, iterations in on this program for Facebook and now Meta. What does this latest program offer? And is there is there any competition to think of from Apple? Uh, like, is Meta going to actually be in use in a lot of businesses? Or do you think Apple is going to get that market? Yeah, so as you point out, this is the third iteration of a for business program from Facebook slash Meta. There was a, an original Oculus for business, then an Oculus Quest for business, and then all these get deprecated. And then finally, we have today's Quest for business, Meta Quest for business. Uh, again, as we point out in this show, a classic case of Meta constantly launching things, deprecating them, replacing them, deprecating them, launching them again, probably because the people who made the original thing go off somewhere else and then the team fizzles apart and the new executive says, I oh, instead of improving this thing, let's just remake it with my own DNA everywhere. And yeah, the, the point is, this means that businesses can mass set up and manage Quest devices uh, instead of having to use them like consumer devices. So just like they would with laptops, they can use their existing uh, UEM systems that like Microsoft Intune and mass deploy these headsets, remotely manage them. There are two different modes here that are actually very, very different within this program, Quest for Business. There is individual mode and shared mode. Individual mode costs $15 per month per headset and it gives the employee a headset that is very similar to the consumer quest. It, uh, you have full access to the store, you have full access to the settings. This is for one specific user with a meta account. And this is for, for example, if you're giving someone a headset so they can do remote meetings, so they can do a 3D design of be it architecture or engineering components and do that in collaborative spaces and some of the apps that support that. This is in, in the same way you would give an employee a laptop. Shared mode is very, very different. It's $24 a month and it does not have an account on the headset. The headset runs a streamlined, completely stripped down version of the system interface that only shows pre-configured apps 
and the entire headset has pre-configured settings. And so instead of users, instead of user points, you just have a per session pin code that you input based on uh, the administrator provisioning what it does. This is on some other headsets called kiosk mode, and it's designed for things like training. So we, we saw a, f- a few years ago, Walmart was using Oculus Go's to train thousands of employees. That There's no point in having each employee have a user account for that. This is what this shared mode is for. It's also for, for example, trade show mass demonstrations, where you want to make sure that the headset only shows the app you want with the exact settings you want. You don't have to do any kind of, oh, give me the headset, I'll put it on and change the settings and launch it for you. It's just a kiosk it is completely streamlined and ready to go so we i would expect yes that this is going to help uh businesses and organizations and, and you know maybe governments and perhaps universities more easily use these headsets i know i've heard from people that trying to use these just as consumer devices is a complete nightmare for organizations uh so this is, should be a good advantage as for vision pro um Apple has clearly indicated that they do have uh, ambitions in enterprise use cases. Uh, we published an article a while ago or a week or two ago about Apple uh, using Apple supporting these computer-aided design software tools and, and having this room-scale mixed reality to allow people to visualize you know, entire Formula One cars and the airflow over them in real space in a collaborative environment where everyone has a Vision Pro on and they see it together. Uh, being able to visualize factory setups and engineering components. The obvious point is that these headsets on Quest for Business are available at $500 each, whereas Vision Pro is starting from $3,500. So it's just going to come down to a pricing thing there. Um, we should also point out that this market currently is is very heavily owned by HTC, um, to a lesser extent by Pico, and in the mixed reality space by Magic Leap 2 and Microsoft. So you kind of now have... Um, HTC we've talked about in, in years how it's kind of died out in the consumer market the, the the fact that it was very reliant on Valve and what's happened when HTC is put out to its own we know that they have found the success for businesses when they focus on you know the exact things we're talking about here the ability to mass manage devices and remotely install and manage apps and update the firmware and and do all this from a web interface for for hundreds or dozens of headsets this is going to be a challenge for HCC, I think, now that Meta are really taking this seriously, and then Apple from the high end as well. There's going to be some companies here, like potentially Magic Leap in HTC and Pico in their Pico 4 Enterprise that are going to get squeezed from both directions here. And that's brutal, where people have looked at these companies saying they're actually doing okay in business. They've built like self-sustaining things with business customers where some business wants to deploy... 10, 15 headsets and build a custom app with a couple developers, they can do it on multiple of these headsets. And that's that's what this market is. When Apple and Meta come to eat that meal, <laughs> uh, those headsets could die very quickly. Um, even though people have pointed out with things like the, the, the transparent displays, there are certain conditions where what pass-through isn't... Uh, comfortable or legal to be used and so we're gonna have to watch that over time um i do want to if you haven't hit that like button do please hit like it does matter we do see our numbers go up we are going to move to the end of the section here with very big very very big news uh as we dive into the last bit of this and uh some exclusive news honestly this is uh what we're going to talk about in the last section of this show 
is exclusive to Upload VR, exclusive to my team and the hard work we do. And I just want to make that call out uh, to come support us, become members, uh, support our work long term. Um, and yeah, uh, we're on we're on this news in a way other places aren't, and that's going to be apparent here in a second. So just before we move on, I'll just bring up James O'Loughlin's comment, which I think is completely valid. And James says that Quest 3 is not good enough for augmented reality business applications. I mostly agree with you there. The pass-through on Quest 3 is probably not going to be the choice for the vast majority of businesses. Uh, but Vision Pro, well, Vision Pro, from, from what I've heard from Ian's impressions of it and from other people's impressions, does seem to have pass-through that would be good enough for these business use cases. That said, I can see Quest 3 still being used for mixed reality in cases for small businesses and businesses that are more cost-constrained because being able to get, say, three Quest 3s for $1,500 and then, uh, you know, plus a $15 a month subscription versus the the $10,000 that it would cost to do the same for Vision Pro or Magic Leap 2 or HoloLens, that's a dramatic difference. There are some businesses that... You know, they want to try this out. They want to use this just to see their their 3D model of, say, a jet engine or whatever, uh, or a part for some other engineering component floating in a space in a collaborative environment. And it doesn't really matter to them at their cost constraints whether the pass-through is that bad. But I agree with you in general, the Quest 3 will probably be much more focused on VR for businesses. But yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what happens to Vario as well when Vision Pro comes out? Because yes, Vario has the power of a PC, but uh, you know Apple is going to be pushing at them with a fully standalone solution that integrates with the existing iPad app ecosystem that a lot of businesses are already using. Yep, and uh, we, we do have the Google-Samsung partnership out there to see how that surfaces in this area. But I, I kind of have a feeling it's going to be an also-ran if they come in late. Um, we ready to talk about Pico here because that is an exclusive bit of news for UploadVR.com. And yeah, very uh, proud of my team and their work on this to get this out because it's been a question in our audience. We know a lot of people have been trying to find out what happened to Just Dance VR. We have statements being released by ByteDance and Pico itself as well as sources coming to us directly to tell us what's going on at this company uh, beyond the carefully worded public statements that this company is willing to offer. And in this instance, we reached out to Ubisoft and asked them, what is going on with Just Dance VR? And they told us that they're working with a new partner to get this game finished. Now, yeah, go ahead, David. I was going to say, you may, you just mention the context for those that weren't aware. Uh, Just Dance VR was announced alongside Pico 4 as its first exclusive game coming this year. So that was Just Dance VR for Pico 4. We know that Meta has all of these exclusives. It's releasing, you know, exclusive after exclusive. Now, as we'll talk about later, AAA titles. This was going to be Pico's kind of fight back. It's a Ubisoft project. It's a massive IP, Just Dance, but as Ian said, we are exclusively reporting that Ubisoft is now working with a new partner, not Pico. Yeah, and uh, Artful making the obvious guess that it may be meta. That's up to, the, obviously, the developer to decide and their partner when to confirm who that partner is. It's not impossible for it to be Sony. It's not impossible for it to be Apple. The most obvious 
partner would be Meta. Um, and I'm seeing people in the comments asking, who's asking about Just Dance? Uh, it is a major music rhythm brand that in some household, it's going to be their rock band or their guitar here. That is the game that they the game brand they know. So having that adapted to VR was a big get for Pico when they announced it. It was their moment on the public stage, global stage, to say, we're doing this just like Meta, and we're going to give it a go as big as Meta. And uh, people in our audience who wanted an alternative to Meta, we're we're looking at Pico saying, okay, this is them actually saying we're going to be a real... uh, a real alternative. So some people went and bought that headset with the assumption that this game was coming to Pico headsets. Well, uh, this, this is the biggest confirmation yet that things are at least gone from the last stage of Pico. And I saw someone in our comments saying that they were going to look into the Pico deal this Black Friday I would recommend, I, I, we'll see what David says. We haven't discussed this recommendation, so he could be completely different from me. But I would personally recommend you go get a Pico 4 less than I would recommend going and get a Quest 2. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. James O'Loughlin is asking, so it was their Beat Saber competitor? No, uh, they actually had a, a separate project for a Beat Saber competitor. We talked about this in last week's show. Uh, that we reported that that game was cancelled and everyone involved was laid off. So the trend here is pretty clear. Uh, Pico is very clearly withdrawing from the VR gaming market. You know, their Beat Saber competitor cancelled and everyone laid off. Their big exclusive with Ubisoft, they have, you know, exited the deal and Ubisoft is now working with a new partner. It would be, if unless you're just buying it to use for PC VR with virtual desktop, we would strongly recommend against buying a Pico. If you want it for standalone and you expect a stream of games to arrive that are not currently there, I would strongly suggest not doing that. It does seem that <laughs> Pico is no longer, from what we understand, Pico has essentially shut down their, their content team. Am I wrong in saying that? Uh, I would say that the current... Uh, content team is probably gone and if they are going to do anything new it would be a fresh start with new people with a new budget with new rules about what you're building so uh is it impossible to imagine pico hiring up and like like the uh i'm trying to imagine the people that pico could hire to come work for them now in getting hand tracking games for whatever they come up with next. And I can't imagine them hiring a whole lot of people who actually know what they're doing because of what just happened, right? Like you just, you just got rid of your team uh, that was built for getting games on your platform. Who's going to go and work for you now getting games on your platform for hand tracking. Like I, Pico could come with really big deals, but are they really going to be the big bigger than the deals that Meta comes to them from for hand tracking games? That seems a little absurd. So, like, I, I'm trying to imagine a future where uh, any kind of content comes to Pico's platform on hand tracking. 
uh, in it. Like I, I can't, I'm, I'm imagining this scenario. It's really, really hard. So to answer your question, I think Pico's current employee generation is done. And until I hear otherwise from like an employee who survived these cuts, um, who, who, who has on their, I don't know, Twitter profile that they worked on Pico prior to this, then I'm going to trust the employees that I've heard that Pico seems to be done right now. Um, and, and like, that doesn't mean they can't bring enough money to give it another shot, but I'm, I can't imagine the mechanics of how they spin that up that fast. Yeah. And I think whatever they are going to do next, it is clearly not like quest and PlayStation VR two style VR gaming with tracked controllers. If they are going to, you know, continue to release games or fun games, it's clearly going to be something more like the vision pro approach that is, uh, seated perhaps and using just your hands perhaps mostly in in mixed reality uh, i i think as we've said before in this show it strongly seems like uh they are going to focus on competing with vision pro not quest the uh, little scampy points out that just dance could have been a great hand tracking game itself so it kind of it that talks to me more about the idea that this could be a, a retreat not just from controllers but from standing up from that kind of room scale gaming that that they want to go for the division pro approach even that they want to go as i've said before with a a head mounted display you can use to watch youtube and netflix and disney plus and, and that style where they don't actually have to invest in content all they have to do is put out a platform and hardware and partner with the right people essentially it's like building an android tv box at that point it's not really something where you have to you know spend this hundreds of millions or, or billions on uh content uh VR Gamer Dude is pointing out that the inability to sell to Western markets shut down Pico significantly. Yeah, I, I do very much so agree. Had Pico sold in the United States, this could have been a very different situation. Sonja saying they launched hardware without games and apps. What was their business model? As I pointed out in this show, the Pico store actually does have a, a large percentage of Quest's non-exclusives, a really, really large percentage. If you go onto a Pico 4, you will see all of the big titles on Quest except Meta's exclusives. What ByteDance needed to do was to fund a series of exclusives that were on par with the scale of Meta. The problem is that Meta is likely spending billions in total over the years on Quest content. And that's something that for the current market size, ByteDance could access without the United States. It seems they just did not want to do. Like I, I imagine Meta as a, it's the term stalking horse uh, on basically any any contract that any competitor would want to offer. Meta has been focused enough and consistent enough to to know what quality content looks like and who can build it at this point. So it's really, really hard to imagine a competitor coming in with a bigger offer for a hand tracking game uh, than Meta is going to offer them. And that's, that is the, when, when Funky is saying the VR industry is harsh, like that's, that is what competitors face with Meta. Yeah. Except for Apple, of course, Apple is the one company that can, you know, companies are still going to want to work with and partner with no matter what. I do wonder how this affects Google, though, obviously Google is Samsung's partner for its headset that's reportedly launching next year with a very limited quantity, as we talked about in past weeks. 
but Google has this terrible track record with Daydream in VR, with Stadia in traditional console gaming. Samsung, you've got to wonder that some executives at Samsung must be a bit nervous about the fact that they are partnering with a, a software and content partner that is just so, to be honest, hated by many developers. You've, I've seen this even for things like Google Cloud as well, for developers that used some of the services that Google um, got them dependent on and then killed off. Uh, you know, We even saw in the past year, Google killed Google Domains, its domain name service. For what possible reason, no one can seem to ascertain. But that developer trust... You know, at the end of the day, developers have huge problems working with Meta. There are developers that do not like working with Meta, but they do know that they are that Meta is Meta is committed to this market. They are going to provide funding for certain types of developers to build content. They're gonna they're gonna follow through on those funding deals in the vast majority of cases, with some exceptions that we've reported on, and that they're gonna have a market of millions of people to sell those to on the Quest Store. That's all of those things are so uncertain when it comes to these other partners like Pico and now soon Google. Yeah, so I've let me let me think about what I where this is going to go. We talk about potential futures here, and it was wild to see what happened in the AI sphere this weekend. Right, the there's a very large number of technology journalists that did not sleep this weekend or slept really strangely because the story kept changing in the hottest startup in the world uh, since, I don't know, Oculus years ago um, with OpenAI. And we're talking about whether these platforms are going to mount any significant challenge. And like, it's, it's really heartbreaking to me to talk to these skilled developers over at Alchemy Labs at Google and know that that company could have mounted a challenger to quest years ago. It could be powered by Alchemy's hand tracking knowledge from the ground up and just somewhere in the leadership chain, somebody doesn't have the guts to say, I'm willing to bet my, I'm willing to bet my um, livelihood or like my, my, my credibility on the idea that we need to spend $10 billion to combat Meta, right? Um, that's literally all Google has to do to marshal the resources to, to come and compete with what Meta's doing. And here's these, these devs buried inside the structure at Alchemy Labs that could legitimately power a really, really great competitor. And it's just not that information isn't getting out there. Um, and and I don't know whether it's going to happen in the next six months to surface those ideas. We want it to happen. We want these competitors and these choices to be out there. But what we have here, as we're pointing out in the show, is like, other than Meta and Apple, there aren't a lot of companies with a track record of at least delivering on some of its promises to developers. Sony is out there with PSVR 2. And if so, like, we've got news in our queue, we'll publish it out. There is still potential uh, for Sony to surprise and stack up its lineup heading into the end of this year and into early next year. There's there's potential for Sony to be really here in a major way. Uh, I just think I've, we've heard a lot of gamers and even in our audience, people that have sold PSVR 2. Uh, people have been dying for that content on PSVR 2 and they're starting to question, I think, Sony's commitment a little bit. I don't know if that's 
I don't know if that's fair. I think Sony might still surprise and show up in a really, really, really serious way with that content on Sony. So Sony, Apple, and Meta, they're all very hard to work with if you're a developer. But if you're good at hand tracking, you're probably going to get a deal with one of them, I would think. Well, not from Sony. Sony is still focused on controllers and yeah, PlayStation fair. VR yeah. too. You know, I, I know you said there's a lot of potential with Sony, but I think a lot of PlayStation VR 2 owners are starting to get pretty disappointed with the content lineup. As I've said before, Capcom is pretty much holding the whole thing up at this point. If you had asked a PlayStation VR 2 buyer at launch what they expected to have been announced by mid-November, I think they would have said a lot more than what we've seen so far. And I, I think it's pretty astonishing that Sony talked a lot about this idea of hybrid games that with PlayStation VR 2, you know, they were going to focus on on not just requiring full VR games, but, you know, work with developers to add VR support to existing games. And that happened with, what, three major titles? You've got uh, Resident Evil 8, Resident Evil 4, and Gran Turismo 7. And, you know, two of those were launched. And Horizon, titles. Call of the Mountain. And well, that's not, no, that's not VR support added to an existing oh, full okay, title. Oh, yeah. You know, what other P- PS5 games have VR support? You know, it's, it's really, it, it, Sony very recently kind of did give that statement that VR is not their main focus for this Christmas, that PlayStation 5 is still their main focus. And obviously everyone expects I, that, but at the same time, I, I can't imagine many PSVR 2 owners are happy with the content situation so far. And I, we would cert- they'd certainly hope that in 2024, Sony has a lot more to show. I, I get it. You know, in retrospect, did we put too much pressure on Sony in its first year, right? Like, did we did we expect too much from them to ramp up? I, I have a hard time with this narrative the same day that we're publishing Vertigo 2 coming to the platform, right? Like, we've got a firm date. I know it got delayed, but that's a big game to end your year on. And it is fulfilling in many buyers' minds that dream of Half-Life Alex. Even though it's not Half-Life Alex, it's still the same feel, uh, the same itch getting scratched by a really, really quality title. And that's, that's a big thing to end the year on from a dev who specifically will not release on Meta's platform. So, like, it's, it's, I'm not, I mean, I'm, we can't undercount that indie work is, I guess, what I'm, what I want to say there. Sure, and Vertigo 2 is an excellent game. I will not deny that, but it's not on the scale of you know AAA titles that attract new buyers to the platform and that the general casual uh, owner is going to care about. It's not Assassin's Creed Nexus. It's not you know Asgard's Wrath 2. It's not some of the potential titles that we could have seen. It's not even titles from PSVR 1 that we still haven't seen come to PSVR 2. Minecraft, um, Star Wars Squadrons, Skyrim VR, huge titles are sitting there just waiting for a conversion from Sony's existing PS4 headset to their PS5 headset. That's the kind of thing, it's just low-hanging fruit. How has Sony not thrown these companies a couple of million dollars and told them to get this onto PS VR 2? Yeah, this this is my heart. My heart hurts hearing both sides of this, like thinking it through in my head and like, did did Sony pull the plug and it just hasn't been pulled yet? Or are we waiting for another generation? Or is Sony, you know, like really going to push here? 
I, I don't know. I'm, and when I hear him make his, his argument, I start thinking he's right. And then when I go away, I start getting hope in Sony again. <laughs> so I don't know. Funky Sloth pointing out Astrobot as well. Another one. It's, it's unbelievable yeah. that like, you know, they have these titles on PSVR one that aren't on PSVR two. I understand why they aren't backwards compatible. I understand that, but surely you're, you're going to be working on getting some of these titles. Has there been any major Sony funded title from PSVR one that's come across? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, I just want to, I'm going to throw it out there. I've, I have family spread out across the United States. I've, I've tried to send headsets. My brother has a PSVR one that never gets used. Uh, so he, you know, I got him to, to buy in back in the day. Um, and it just gets retired. Um, <laughs> I saw the, 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 I saw, uh, was it Sony announced the remastered version of last of us part two. And I told a family member, that who's deeply invested in the last of us uh and they instantly wanted a ps5 it was it was it was instantaneous this re-release of last of us 2 is coming out and they want a ps5 instantaneously one piece of content for the one person and that's it so much so that like i just yeah you're absolutely right that the content isn't there for psvr2 but like in the same way that we're getting the sense that Meta has not pulled off and unveiled all of the stuff that they have planned for XR2 Gen 2, I, I still feel like we've gotten the sense that Sony has just either they didn't spend the money or they're just holding back an, a ridiculous number of devs from saying this is coming next year, right? Like I, I want to hope that that, that slate is still out there. I'm not willing to close the door on it entirely. I would love to believe that. I really would, but mm -hmm. it does seem increasingly unlikely as we go forward. It's, they've also been they've also been plagued by the issue that you know they're, one of their biggest titles for the second half of the year was just poorly designed. Uh, Firewall Ultra. I think you know that maybe that's a controversial thing to say, but we I've seen that across the board from PlayStation VR two fans. There was a sort of stubbornness from this studio that they didn't want to learn any of the lessons that they were told from their original title. Uh, you know things like pressing a button to reload in VR. Some of these uh, other issues that are like aim assist that are just it feels like they wanted to make a non VR title and it was kind of shoehorned into VR. That's disappointing. You don't want to have. You know, we've seen this happen with Meta. Let's be clear. You know, Medal of Honor VR, for example, was a huge fun title from funded title from Meta that had these design issues that really, uh, really limited its appeal and, and limited what it could be. But Meta in the last few years has decided, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to acquire these studios and bring them in house. And maybe, you know, from then we can kind of hone out what's possible. Um, Sony kind of has this second party situation where they have very close ties. Uh, I would, you would hope that Sony is seriously trying to figure out what went wrong with Firewall Ultra because that could have been the giant title for this new year. And it's just frustrating how these choices that the developers made, it wasn't a lack of budget. It wasn't, you know, a lack of scope. It was just the actual decisions they made that, that compromised that title. Mm, and we still have, we still have some more content to release before the end of the year to get a better grip of just, how these decisions got shaped and, and why they, they were made the way they were made. 
I think we're ready to probably talk about this last subject here soon, right, David? Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Um, you know, this is the first, we're talking about titles and funding here with Pico and Sony, but this is pretty much inarguably, I don't think anyone's going to disagree. This is Quest's first AAA standalone title. This is, there was skepticism before this launch that this would be truly AAA, but you know, even the larger gaming magazines that aren't VR oriented describe this as AAA. Ubisoft describes this as AAA. This has, you know, what is it like 20 to 30 hours of core gameplay plus the extras. It has graphics that are for what's possible on Quest, you know, pretty much the extreme of what you can do when you have environments of this size. This is a, a pretty much watershed moment in the history of the Quest platform. The first AAA major IP title. And you talked to Henry a lot, who reviewed it for us, and I think you've probably played it a bit yourself. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, so, well, I, I still need to get into it uh, myself, but I did talk to Henry uh, Stockdale, who reviewed this for us at length, about his review, about his time in the game, and I grilled him. I grilled him hard to make sure he uh, was was categorizing this, this right and understanding the bigger picture here, because we have this... We have this tendency, like, you can go and read Roger VR's review of this game, compare it to ours, and see the reviewer through the reviews that you read. You can see the underlying uh, ideas and, and what drives them. Um, we gave this a four out of five, not quite five stars, and it's held back in various ways. And I wanted to understand from Henry... What holds this back from a five out of four? Like, well, why get a whole star review out of something that, like, why take a star away from something that's this big budget and uh, represents this much of an investment? Um, and we got into it. We, we talked about it at length. And what I understand it to be is this, the stealth elements of this game are hard to to get into like they, they take you out of the immersion a little bit um, as well as some, some jankiness in movement and uh, interacting with things. That's enough to, for him to remove a star. Uh, and that's his assessment. Now we need to talk about the larger, the larger thing that we're seeing here. And if you go read Henry's review, he's done a fantastic job of describing the level of detail and the amount of work and expertise brought to bear for this title. So Ubisoft has been in the VR space for years. The developers there have been building games for that entire time. Uh, Star Trek Bridge Crew, uh, Space Junkies. And the one that sticks in my mind relative to Assassin's Creed is Eagle Flight. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of our viewers will have never heard of Eagle Flight from a generation of VR gaming when fewer people had headsets. And it was this game where you just tilt your head left, you tilt your head right, and you can fly around the city of Paris in different directions in a race uh, with other birds or in a fight with other birds. A very interesting early concept of getting around very large spaces with a headset the critical feature in that game from many, many years ago was vignetting. It had really dynamic, smart vignetting. So when you start tilting your head and flying around the city, the vignetting shrinks down so you're not looking at much of your environment during these fast movements. 
And as soon as you stop moving like that, you get the full view of Paris again. It worked beautifully back in the day. It was a fantastic demonstration of how to do the things gamers want to do in VR while still making it comfortable for the vast majority of people. Meta came to the people who built that game and said, here's a very large chunk of cash to go and take one of your biggest brands and put it on the Quest 2 and the Quest 3 system years and years out in the future. And we've rated it four out of five stars, and Henry has done his due diligence. He played the entire game, uh, finished it, and had to break down what what this represents to people. Um, among his, his feeling uh, was that this is accessible to new people. You don't need to necessarily have foreknowledge of the Assassin's Creed universe to get into it. And then there's this section. It's the largest section of comfort settings we've ever run, uh, I think, in any of our reviews, where he's outlined f- from Eagle Flight, basically, that I just talked about to now. There are settings to tune this experience to your liking and get around this full Assassin's Creed experience uh, as comfortably as possible. So I did this giant discussion with Henry and he's done all this work to outline this in the review. And then we got to the end of the discussion. I'm like, wait a second, hold on. You spent 20 plus hours and you didn't feel sick once. You didn't have to put the headset down. This is, that's like, it's different for every single person. But the fact that we can have that discussion about a title of this magnitude with this name brought to bear for everyday gamers out there who have never experienced VR before. Simulator sickness is enough of a problem that we need to tell average people how likely it is that that's going to happen to them in the biggest budget content. And I feel pretty confident having grilled Henry, having understood his content preferences that I can tell people, you know, Meta is starting to dial it in, right? This is, this is, you can probably feel pretty comfortable. You might feel sick. And if you start to feel sick, you should stop using VR immediately. But you can go into the settings here and feel pretty comfortable across all of these things that you do inside Assassin's Creed. That's, that's a big moment for us to make sure that we express to our readers. It's not, it's not an easy thing. It's not a five out of five game because of the reasons I outlined earlier. But also, it's an achievement in its own right for all of these other reasons, right? Yeah, I've heard that from quite a few people, especially uh, I've been reading some of the reviews from non-VR gaming websites where some people that said that they typically would get sick in games like this were able to find a comfort setting that allowed them to play it for hours on end. So that's something that obviously Ubisoft has put a big focus on. Obviously, with a budget of this size, they're able to do that and and play test the game with all these settings because that obviously makes the game a nightmare to uh from a qa perspective to have to put all these settings in and some smaller devs are not going to be able to afford to do that um i saw a comment earlier from blair saying that uh medal of honor could also be described as the first triple a quest title and i think that's fair it does come down to how you define triple a to me medal of honor didn't feel quite there it felt 
So even even its design issues aside, that maybe not really like it as a game. But budget it, budget wise, it was a triple A game, but gameplay wise, it wasn't. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, and it still didn't feel. You know, this I've only played this for about one or two hours, but it feels like it could be an, a real Assassin's Creed title, as in in the real main uh, Assassin's Creed uh, series. It feels like, obviously, from a graphics perspective, it feels like it would be the Switch port of a, a, a Assassin's Creed game. But otherwise, it feels at home with the series. The Medal of Honor VR game didn't feel like that to me, but you could make the argument uh, that it was a AAA title. But So let's, you know, I, Blair, yeah, obviously and, being very picky here. Uh, thanks for that. But <laughs> let's, let's find a phrase that you like here. How about the first good AAA title on Quest? Will, will you accept that? The first, this is the first good AAA game on Quest. And that is regardless of... Uh, what other content had funding on in what scale and a, a watershed moment and what we want to do is is break down why why is it good why what is the difference between what Blair is complaining about in the comments of Medal of Honor and here you know meta is you know for someone like Blair an indie dev working on projects on their own it it doesn't feel good to see again and again meta throw tens of millions of dollars at projects made by people who don't understand fundamental VR actions as well as even an indie dev out on their own. And so you give you give tens of millions of dollars to a team that's never made a VR project before when an indie dev could do uh, some really, really interesting things with that. And that is ultimately the story. There's There's a lot of devs in that like frustrating situation of just like, why didn't meta give us the money or even like setting aside your own ego right like man just commenting on like what a misspent of what what a what a poor way to spend money on that team and that idea and that's that's what informs a lot of these like weird discussions i want to focus on what is good and what pushes this forward what is this game and this investment going to do and it's this is i got into this a little bit with henry um all of us as journalists and, uh, you know, journalism is probably the one, uh, the one profession that can share the layoff story with developers this year, right? Well, there's always journalists getting laid off everywhere. And it is hard and painful to see dev teams that have done amazing things get disbanded or the... The, the companies cutting off funding when they were right across the finish line of making a really great idea. Um, we want to see more work like Assassin's Creed. We want to see what this team does with more funding and another few years of development towards this project. I want to see a couple more projects of this scale, of this quality, and I want to see them continue down this line. I don't want to see that from the Medal of Honor team. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with you that there was definitely a frustration with Medal of Honor that how much money must have gone into this and what a shame because clearly they just didn't understand VR design. With this, you don't feel that. You, you walk into this and you feel... I can see why likely tens of millions of dollars were spent on this. This feels like the kind of VR games that if you were a PC VR user, you were used to in the in the Rift era when Facebook was funding huge titles. Uh, it feels 
not graphically and not design wise, but in terms of funding and content and and sort of scope wise, it feels Half Life Alex like. But again, not in terms of graphics or anything like that. Okay. But it, you know, what I want to see is titles of this scale built entirely around the XR2 Gen 2 processor because this is still a cross-gen title. It's It has enhancements for Quest 3, that is true, but it was clearly designed for Quest 2. And I want to see what happens when a game of this budget gets enough funding that uh, and is designed without having to work on a processor that's half as powerful and three years old. And maybe it'll yeah. take until Quest 3 lights out. Maybe it'll be years until we see that from Meta but it does show that if this is what's possible when targeting the last gen hardware, what must be possible when targeting the the new gen on standalone? Yep. So uh, Blair clarifying there. So I really appreciate that. And sorry if I any if I misrepresented your thoughts in any way. Uh, but uh, Blair adding, I'm not butthurt. I'm just jaded about people saying this is it, folks. Whenever a new AAA game comes out, fantastic. I get what you're saying there, and I am jaded in this in. I, I reflect on myself and my expectations that this VR market is going to overnight explode. I've seen this boom and bust of people having expectations that this is the moment. This is the headset. This is the technology to do it, right? Like we don't, we're, we're trying to at least get better in setting our expectations where they should be. And I think you're absolutely right that this, this is not it, folks, right? Like to, to your point, we're, we're still, this is still the road. We're still getting closer. As I keep saying, there is no magical moment. It doesn't look like that. There's no, you know, it doesn't go, the chart doesn't go like this where it just kind of shoots off out of nowhere. It, it's a, it's a mountain. It's a hill. It's, it goes up and up and up. This market, we know it's growing every year. It's getting bigger every year. The inflection point where it started to grow at a massively greater pace than it ever had before was the launch of Quest 2. And it's been steady growth since then. We expect that Quest 3 Lite is going to be the next moment where that starts to, uh, increase growth again because Quest 3 as great as it is at $500 it is just not within the same level of affordability as Quest 2 was with Quest 3 Lite if you have this new market of people coming in if you have China coming in as it being reported in the Wall Street Journal uh, this opens up a, a, a much larger possibility for developers as well as the fact that they have this more than twice as powerful GPU budget if they're going to design around that new processor yeah, so Blair coming back at you saying it's actually smaller this year. I would, I would I mean, debate. I like, yeah. So, so I would debate your your terminology there. Like, like how are you categorizing that? You're, if you're you're if you're terming dollars spent on Steam VR, did did Steam VR have a down year? Did did new games on Steam VR sell fewer this year than last year? That's that's a valid question. And yeah, I mean, did sure Meta sell fewer quests? Yeah, like did Meta sell fewer Quest 2s than last year because people like us told people to stop buying them. Like because it was a bad idea to buy them, yes. So like, and yes, the Quest 3 is more expensive. Like, I don't know, like it, it's it's hard to, how many years are you going to be a doomer about the potential of the VR market before you realize that the VR market is already here for some people? Oh, it is, I mean, it is already here. There are dozens of titles. Uh, there are dozens of developers making millions of dollars of revenue. This is a real market. There are 10 million or so people actively using VR. This is no longer the early days of hackers and development kits. We are in the era. Again, it's this isn't the end point. We're not at mainstream. But as I point out almost every week, 
you can find in your average life, you know, whether it be a, a barber or an Uber driver or a bartender or someone that you're chatting to, you will find people everywhere that either own a Quest 2 or their housemate or their brother or their sister or their aunt or their dad or their kid owns one. I, every week I encounter a new uh, stranger that tells me that either their close family member or housemate or friend owns a Quest 2. We are far out of the point where we're talking when are regular people going to start buying headsets. What's been missing in the past few years uh, is AAA content that is of the scale of, of consoles. And this is the first moment in that. And obviously we have another AAA title coming in very soon in uh, Asgard's Wrath 2. Yep, and we are going to be on top of assessing Asgard's Wrath 2. We will have these discussions through December about uh, the the value here, uh, whether so. I feel bad uh, about my comment there of how many years you're going to be a doomer, right? Like, I ultimately, I'm saying to myself, I have been too uh, too overzealous in the past. I thought this market was going to be bigger than it was again and again and again. So I'm perfectly. You know, being the doomer person in the room and saying that is a perfectly valid place to be and understanding that we should put expectations where they are. Every data point that I'm seeing uh, points to the overall direction of everything being much bigger that next year than it is this year because of the way the last two years held back innovation. XR2 Gen 1 all the developers out there knowing all the smart ones, at least that have really good connections to the hardware partner partners, knowing maybe I should be building for the next gen XR two gen two processor. And then Apple potentially opening the floodgates on its entire ecosystem in the same way that the idea that we could look at those two things happening after the last two years of waiting for them to happen. Right. It seems to be a, big, big, big market is coming very, very soon. And the content that would be best for that platform is on people's, you know, it's on people's PCs right now in a Unity project waiting for the hardware to run it. I, I well, could I mean, be wrong. Other, what I push back on is that other than the blip, which was Quest 2 being increased in price, this already has been growing. You know, I've seen this from developers. I've seen multiple uh, charts from developers who are in the Quest store selling that it's just going up and up every year. They're selling more this year than they sold last year and selling more last, they sold more last year than the year before. And it continues to increase. And, you know, like, for the ones with mixed reality support, they saw big spikes on the Quest 3 launches. People were hungry for that content. And I'm very curious to see what they show me next year. But, you know, I've, I've, I've seen the data. This is the idea that the VR market is getting smaller is just simply false. It's, it may I, be true in some local senses for some subcategories. It may be true for Steam VR, but when it comes to the top 20 types Titles on Quest, they are selling more than they ever have. And I, I think uh, mixed reality content could be an area where, where people are missing. Like, I, I would grant that mixed reality content, a lot of it is not compelling and not like uh, not pulling its weight financially uh, in value. Like, so, so a lot of the funded content that was mixed reality is maybe not worth it. Um, sure, but that doesn't mean VR overall. Like when we when we look at the idea of a Quest Three Lite that focuses on the VR experience, powered by the XR2 Gen Two, 
Uh, that's I want to see how content like Assassin's Creed runs on a system like that. Two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, uh, XR2 Gen 2, that kind of content, and a library going out from there. Beat Saber, puzzling places. You just go down the list of amazing things that you could get for just a couple hundred bucks with this incre- with this incredible visual experience powered by that processor. It, I'm explaining why it's why parts of the market feel smaller now is because this stuff is coming, and they you know the developers know it. Uh, why would why we release? Like I see these amazing games come out right around the launch of standalone hardware. These devs are smart in trying to get on Meta's release schedule when they release new hardware. And I'm convinced a large segment of devs are waiting for for the next one. Yeah, I think that that could be true, but a lot of them are still going to want to target the the 20 million or so Quest 2 owners of which, you know, somewhere around 8 million are, are active monthly users. So these are people who are, are still wanting to buy content over time. Some of them will upgrade their headset, but they are still going to be the targets for developers. As we said, it'll be likely that games will look and run best on the new chipset of Quest 3 and Quest 3 Lite, but it's still they're still going to focus on Quest 2. And I, I, just, I just repeat again, I just don't agree with this narrative that we're waiting for anything. It is just a steady progression that's constantly happening. Yeah. There was a blip when Quest, 3 was in, or Quest 2 was increased in price, but... Uh, once it came back down, you still see that. You know, you can look on Amazon and see it in the top sellers in video game uh, console category, uh, month in, month out. Uh, you can look on any other retailer and see it in their their top selling lists. Uh, and of course, like it, it's such a, I, I feel so bad about this discussion because, right? It it always we've had this discussion before. We have it in every venue possible of just all of these pain points of the VR market and to like, I don't know if Blair is making this point, but the hardware going to two or $300 doesn't magically erase all the weight off your face. There's still going to be many reasons these headsets go and develop dust. And VR is this unique place where you just, you've got, you got to have really compelling reasons to put the headset on all the time because it's, it's such a chore to go do. I think one one of the key ways you can know that there is success in this market and developers are kind of uh, into it is you're seeing so many sequels announced and released over the past few years. The developers have been able to sell enough to not only cover their costs, but to then cover the cost of a new title. And we've seen, you know, studios like Vertigo Games, like Resolution Games and, and such start just pump out more and more titles. Uh, Arizona Sunshine 2, for example, is another uh, game coming out soon that they are pricing at $60. So they, uh, we haven't reviewed it yet or anything like that, but you know, they are obviously coming off the success of Arizona Sunshine one. And after the fall, two titles that they've obviously, uh, been releasing, uh, over the past few years. And, and they are claiming that they have $60 worth of value there. That'll obviously be something that we test out in our review, but it's yet another example of a developer building more stuff. I know personally of developers that have successful titles on Quest that are currently building their next title, a completely fresh IP. Uh, you know, they can announce in their own time, but I, I you know, I know dozens of them that are that are doing this. Uh, this, I just again want to push back on the the market that on the narrative that this is some sort of feeling market. It's simply not the case when you look at the actual data yeah, and talk to the developers that are succeeding here. Yep. I think that's a really interesting way of describing it, the slow progression. 
we will get into it, I think, in the future. Thank you for the comments, Blair. And we will unfold this over Christmas. I There was a comment. Um, I remember it was some months ago, uh, someone talking about our show and how we get more tense near the end of the year uh, as the pressure uh comes on uh i I do feel that uh coming in i see it in our audience you know our poor like i i've tried to describe this but christmas day is christmas day for the devs too right it's the you everyone out there getting their headset for the first time on christmas eve christmas day the devs are out there watching a chart of how many sales they had and that chart will determine what the next year or two of their life looks like. And that's a stressful time for the devs out there. It's, it's enormously like straining, right? In, a t- in addition to wanting to hang out with their family and accomplish a holiday, your life is now riding on the line of what your store placement is on a holiday and how, how, whether your dev contact actually, whether your dev contact at the platform actually delivers for you that spot on that that day, right? Um, so our hearts go out to the devs who are experiencing this. Uh, we understand what you're going through. Uh, talk to us. Give us more information. If your sales are down, if your sales are up, we want to know what the actual market looks like so we can help our audience here make good decisions. Thank you so much for the discussion. It's been very active and we expect to have a very busy couple weeks here as we try to close out the year. Uh, we were just talking today about how we're going to try to relax uh, right around Christmas time, even though we will have some of our best content up on the site uh, for everyone to read through as they're getting into VR for the first time. So thank you so much for tuning in this week. We'll see you in the future. Talk to you later. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you next week as usual.